Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. It's good to be back with you today. Uh, today, I want to talk again about the coronavirus situation. I know it's being beat to death all over the place, but I just wanted to give some general thoughts about what I think is going on. The last time we talked, uh, it was about a week before it sort of was world news and and uh, so a lot has changed since then. And so I'll just uh, just riff on that for a little bit. But first, some really good news. The uh, Pre-Wrath Film Project is fully funded. We got 100% of the budget. Uh, I sent out an email to everybody that had donated about a week ago, just thanking everybody for their support. I am blown away that we were able to get this done and to get it done so quickly. I really want to thank Alan Kirshner, the executive producer of the project, that really put it all together and uh, you know, got all the, the people to commit to the interviews and everything. It's just been, been really helpful. So thanks to Alan, thanks to everybody that's involved in the project now. We've got a growing list of, of people that are helping with it. Just a quick update on where we are with the production on everything. Uh, there's five interviews that have been totally completed. There's at least one more interview that I really wanna get. It's sort of a key interview, but we've had to postpone that because of coronavirus issues. So uh, that's still up in the air in terms of when that can be filmed. Technically, there was one other interview that I really wanted to get, but I'm kind of flexible on that. If we can't get it, then we can't get it. The scripts are taking shape. It's over halfway done in terms of, you know, if you know the concept, there was the seven pre-trib problems and then there's a script. So uh, they're, they're kind of like term papers I have to write before I can actually get to the script. But I have wrote both the term papers and the script portion for over half the film and uh, that's allowed me to really get started with the storyboarding and that has allowed me to get started with uh, reaching out to people that can do the animations and really seeing what I need in terms of b-roll that I need to shoot versus b-roll that I can get with stock footage or whatever so there's still a ton that that's left to do though I am starting to see the light at the end of the uh, proverbial tunnel uh, the original release date was tentatively scheduled for late spring early summer like June-ish uh, that technically may be possible, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be end up pushing that uh, back uh, a little bit, if not a lot of bit. Uh, obviously, we're going to try to do this as fast as we can, but I, I really need to see what is going to be needed in terms of the animations. I have no no concept right now in terms of what that's going to look like in terms of lead time or whatever. So in any case, please uh, keep us in, in your prayers. Uh, I have noticed maybe just a uh, a little bit of spiritual warfare with this pro project. Um, at least th that's the way I'm interpreting it. Uh, but in any case, uh, please do uh, uh, send a, a prayer or two my way if you are so inclined. All right, so let's get into some coronavirus talk. I know it's been uh, everywhere all the time, 24-7, but, you know, I guess I'll just throw my hat into the ring with it as well. As I said in the last podcast, I don't think it has anything to do with Bible prophecy, but it is something that I personally have been following and have a lot to say about. So this last week, there was like a notable split between conservative viewpoints on what what their take was on this whole situation. And it was almost as if two things can't be true at the same time. Like the, they, they were split uh, uh, there was an unnecessary split between people that typically agree on a lot of things. Uh, the split goes like this. The one side is saying, hey, this virus, the stats are really bad. It's really infectious. It has a, a much higher kill rate than the flu. It's something that is going to leave your lungs permanently scarred, even if you do survive in some cases. You know, there's a lot of reasons to try to avoid doing this, not the least of which is that the hospitals are going to be overrun, which is going to cause all kinds of domino effect problems, including 
you know, people having babies and car wrecks and all that stuff will uh, not have any place to go. So those people would also say, hey, stay at home, you know, do all kind of say a lot of the same things that we're being told to do. Uh, and then on the other side, you have the, uh, it's just the flu bro people that are saying, hey, look, it's not that bad of a thing. They're just using this to either bring in the new world order or to make the president look bad or to take away our civil liberties. The point I'd try to make is that they both can be true. The virus can be bad and they're using it to take away our civil liberties. The just the flu bro people really don't have a leg to stand on at this point, in my opinion. I mean, I don't see how you could take that angle anymore. The, the arguments that I've been hearing from just the flu bro people are so easily, dis, you know, uh, destroyed. It's like, look at the current number of deaths. Uh, those, that, you know, 300 or some odd deaths in America, that's that's no more than whatever, name shark attacks or, or car wrecks or gun shootings in Chicago. And they'll say, look, why don't we have a gun shooting in Chicago uh, shelter in place situation? Of course, the whole thing is based on the numbers that are projected back of the napkin calculations based on the infection rate and the kill rate and the hospital beds. I mean, we're looking, the recent study that got it, all the governments truly freaked out was the one that showed in America alone, two to 4 million deaths, depending on how much you flatten the curve. So point to 300 deaths all you want to, nobody in their right mind is thinking that two to 300 deaths, whatever we currently have now, is going to hold for any amount of time. So it's just a really, really stupid argument. But yes, the just the flu bro people who are pointing out that our civil liberties are being taken, that the, the governments are totally doing an Emperor Palpatine unlimited power situation here are totally correct. That is also happening. They're never going to let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, you know, Satan is always doing Satan's thing. He's using uh, whatever he can to further his agenda. But I would also say it's not all negative. Uh, you know, these kind of things also have a great way of God using it for his glory too. And uh, he uses everything that Satan tries to do for his glory. I'm not saying that, you know, this is all going to turn up roses and, and we're going to, uh, you know, have more uh, liberties than we did before. No, I mean, it's probably going in the wrong direction. We're going, you know, this is going to turn into probably some very 1984 stuff, forced vaccinations and, and who knows what else. It's probably going nowhere good. But we kind of already knew that that the world wasn't going anywhere good as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, right? I mean, regardless of if it has anything to do with Bible prophecy, the Bible doesn't show like a a, a, a world that keeps getting better necessarily. It's one that, uh, that's why it calls uh, Christians salt and light. We prevent the decay of the world by our, our being in the world, but the world is decaying. Uh, salt can only do so much. The world is decaying, but uh, I do like the idea of Christians shining during these kinds of times, donating the food and donating the, the masks or whatever to the churches so they can uh, shine and say, hey, look at these Christians doing these things. So uh, so it, it's an opportunity for us too. And of course, when people get uh, in serious desperation for food or whatever, it's just, it's our time to do what we uh, have always been called to do, uh, which is to help those in need and things. So I think it's, I, I think there's a lot of good that's going to come out of that in terms of that. But yes, my main point here was there is a current uh, dichotomy that it can only be one thing or the other thing, but in fact, I think it's both things. It's a really, really bad virus that you really, really don't want to get, and staying home is a really, really good idea, even though that totally is going to tank the economy. And um, 
you know, also this is really bad and governments are totally going to take advantage of it and it's going to be good for Satan and he's going to use it for everything that he possibly can. So they're both, they're both true. So kind of shifting gears here a little bit, I wanted to say that up until about a week ago, I had a fairly negative outlook on how this all plays out uh, because I just don't see a really good exit strategy for some of these measures that we've put in place. And what I mean by that is that, so I, and first of all, I think it's a good idea. I, I think that you should uh, stay home as much as humanly possible. If you do go out, you need to wear masks and everything. And that we should do all that because we're a free society that chooses to do so. Obviously it would help if we were more informed and, and being told the truth uh, on everything, then people would be more inclined to, to follow those guidelines on their own without being forced to do so. But my point is that even in that current situation, I don't see how, when do you tell people to go back to work? I mean, the idea that it was going to go away in the summer does not seem to be true because the virus is currently growing exponentially in areas of the country or areas of the world that are in summer right now in 90 degree heat. And it's probably related to the fact that the virus is so, so hardy that it can stay on surfaces for two to nine days, some studies have shown. So this is something that is uh, really, really uh, 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 seriously strong, hardy virus, and the the weather does not seem to affect it that much. So that means it's gonna, just going to be it's going to be with us for what indefinitely, and uh, you know this inf- this idea of herd immunity is only so effective because it seems to be able to reinfect people, and that second infection can be much worse than the. I mean, we're dealing with something that could just be something that we like live with forever. And so when do you tell people to go back to work? And when do you tell uh, restaurants to open again and coffee shops to open again? Because because I can't see really a good time to do that. When does this all start up again? When do we all say it's okay? Then you have major long-term economic impact in addition to a lot of trouble with uh, particularly uh, food supply chains. I think that that is an issue that I'm pretty concerned about for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, obviously everybody kind of made a run on, on food. So kind of cleared out a lot of warehouses, probably the stock that we did have. Of course, now we're in the growing season and the migrant workers aren't coming back. There's probably a lot of food stuck in various, uh, phases of the supply chain that's, that's going bad right now. Take into account things like, uh, the locusts in Africa, for example. I mean, that, that destroyed a ton of crops. We could be dealing uh, in addition to the economic problem where people aren't going to have enough money to buy food, especially if the food uh, gets raised in price. And if you look at the Great Depression, the, the food prices, you know, went up a huge amount in terms of prices. So in other words, that could be another crisis that we're not really expecting. All this to say that my my uh, outlook for how this all plays out has been pretty, pretty not good. I can't see a clear path that makes sense for this to like just go away at some point and everything go back to normal. So that's, I think, probably why I have high hopes for this new treatment, the chloroquine, the anti-malarial drug, even though I have virtually no information about it. I have very anecdotal information about it. The information that is out there about it is so politicized right now, you can't hardly see any, any truth. And I don't even think people really know for a while. The things I'm trying to figure out is if, number one, if that's the reason that South Korea's numbers were so low, because honestly, that has never made sense to me that that South Korea's numbers were so low. But if they were using this from the beginning, and uh, then that makes it a lot more sense. 
uh, kind of conversely, if Italy has not been using it. And there's been a little bit of evidence that it's been part of their protocol for certain things, but if they're using it for this, I, I can't quite find that information. So the next week will probably give us a lot more information about whether this is the miracle drug that it's sort of been touted. I mean, it, it sort of makes sense. I mean, getting zinc into the cell walls and thereby disrupting the process for the virus. I mean, it makes sense that it could essentially be a you know, as close to a cure as, uh, as anything. I mean, that's what the initial reports were saying with almost no negative side effects. Of course, you can take too much and, 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 uh, and get poisoned and all this other stuff. I'm starting to see some uh, news reports on that. Of course, it's trying to make Trump look bad or whatever. If that's true, if it really is a cheap drug that can be mass produced very easily and gotten out to all the hospitals in the whole world and the whole thing just goes away, I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Because if it is, then we can actually get back to normal really quickly. And probably we're also not going to be so dug into this, this 1984 New World Order unlimited power of, uh, of government situation that it doesn't really take the hold that I think it would if in a prolonged situation where we can start shaming people that... Uh, uh, you know, go outside of quarantine and we can shame, shame the, the people who won't take the vaccine because there's evidence that it kills people. I mean, so, so th that's what I'm trying to hope to avoid. Let's not get that far this quick. Let's have a little bit of a respite here. And I think that if this, uh, this treatment is at the miracle cure that, uh, it seems to be this week, then I uh, have hope again that we're going to get out of this fairly unscathed. One thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is the economy. And here I'm talking mostly about the stock market, the Federal Reserve, the, the dollar, and how it relates to coronavirus. But I think that in terms of how it relates to the coronavirus, it's just that the idea of uh, the coronavirus and the supply chains in China and all the stuff that originally got the market scared just kind of was the the reason that the bubble started to burst. It's not necessarily... I don't think if you fix the coronavirus problem immediately that the stock market fixes itself immediately. There, there's some systemic problems now that are going to be evident to everybody. And I think the big thing is that uh, everybody's going to see behind the curtain and that, that you just can't keep printing money as if you have money when you don't have any money. That's going to make everybody that has that money that you've been printing being like, hey, if you keep printing this money, then it's going to make this money that you gave me a, a lot less uh, valuable. So could you not print as much money? Uh, I heard a really interesting uh, thought the other day. Maybe it was like a Peter Schiff podcast or something like that. But he said in World War II, the idea of, you know, we got to start a war here. It was coming out of the Great Depression. Of course, nobody had any money. The country really didn't have enough money to, to go fight a war. So what they did is they asked people, hey, could you buy war bonds? You know, help us help us as a country get some money so we can fight this war. And of course, think of how foreign that is to us today, that you would need uh, help from the, the people to fight a war. You don't need us. Just print up some more money. Go buy some tanks and guns and and stuff. You can do anything, you know, just print up some more money. You can give us, hey, we're in trouble. Hey, we don't have our jobs anymore. I can't go to work at my restaurant or whatever anymore. It's okay. I'll print up some money and send everybody a thousand dollars, you know, as if, as if we're not completely broke. And of course, that's going to have a domino effect of other countries saying, hey, you are printing too much money. You don't actually have any money. This is going nowhere good. And then of course, we're going to bail out 
bigger and bigger bailouts, bail out everybody that wants a, a bailout. And it's going to, it's going to be an irreversible, uh, irreversible loss of trust in this whole economic crazy system. And where that goes, nobody knows, but I think it's a fairly good bet that it's going to crash the dollar at some point. But then again, I've heard that the dollar was going to crash every day since 2001, right? I mean, it was always an imminent crash, go buy gold or whatever. So take all that with a grain of salt. It may never uh, crash. Maybe the Keynesian economists are right. I don't know. But I have been thinking a lot about that lately. Like, how do you hedge against inflation if the dollar really is going to crash and maybe sooner than later. Uh, what do you do if you have cash in the bank? How do you, how do you hedge against that uh, inevitable uh, hyperinflation? And I had a few ideas. Number one, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of real assets. Um, and, and that's tricky too, because assets are like anything else, they fluctuate up and down and it's dangerous. And, and there's bubbles in assets. Like, um, you know, think of, you know, expensive guitars. That's a bubble right now. I mean, while the economy's good, yeah, people will buy that price, pay that price for that expensive guitar. But in a down economy, that price is probably a lot less. So the, the more expensive of a thing you're looking at, whether it's a piece of art or whatever, it's its own bubble. And so that asset and is really not the kind of asset I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that retains its value almost, uh, you know, without fail. And I had some thoughts about that. The first thing is freeze-dried food. This is something that uh, even before this all happened, I was thinking about uh, going into like the freeze-dried food business because it just made a lot of sense in terms of hedges against inflation. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, you can't find any. I mean, literally everybody is out of freeze-dried food right now. And the freeze-dried food you can find on eBay or whatever is incredibly marked up. Like the freeze-dried food I have, which is number 10 cans of Augustin Farms uh, stuff. They have, you know, chicken and blueberries and whatever, anything you can think of. But like a can of chicken, which I think I probably bought for, I don't know, I'm going to say like, I don't know how much it cost originally. I can't think of it right now. Maybe 40 bucks or something like that. It's now like well over $100. And uh, that goes across the board for everything. Basically, it's up, it's up a huge amount. So it's not a good idea to buy that right now. But... Uh, I think food, specifically freeze-dried food, which keeps for, you know, something like 30 years. And it's even more interesting to see what it's done in this particular crisis where people bought out everything. And I'm talking about freeze-dried food that is like 15 years old, sold for double, triple its current like retail price. In other words, it doesn't really matter that it's 15 years old. It's still incredibly valuable right now. And I don't think that that's, I think that food is really the commodity of the future and freeze drying is a way to preserve that for 30 years. And of course, even if, you know, you know, 30 years goes down the road and you still have it, you can always eat it. It's not like it's going to go to waste. And in fact, just by, if the world was just going normally, food prices are going to always increase as time goes on. So it's basically increasing in value like 30 years from now, if you went to the store and tried to buy, you know, chicken, it, it would be more costly then than it would be now. So you're essentially saving money uh, in terms of just inflation just by buying food early. So you really can't lose. The, the downsides to it, of course, are that um, uh, it, it's hard to store a lot of it. Uh, I will say that in addition to buying like brand name freeze-dried food, like Augustin Farms or uh, that one that makes a lot of the camping stuff, Max something, I don't know. 
you can also get a, a freeze dryer for your home. This uh, company called Harvest Right, I think it is. They make these freeze dryers are like $25 to $3,500, depending on which model you get. And you can freeze dry whatever. And I'm talking about you can freeze dry anything and put it in mylar bags with a oxygen absorber or get a can sealer and do that at your home as well. Although that can be, be kind of expensive. Anyway, the other thing that I was thinking of that would be a hedge against inflation is your mortgage. If you have a home mortgage, like a 30 or 15 year fixed rate mortgage where the interest rate uh, is not gonna change over the course of that 30 years or whatever, then you basically have a hedge against inflation for whatever amount of money that you owe. In this case, owing money in a mortgage is a perfect way to shelter uh, money. And you don't necessarily even have to pay off the mortgage at any given time. You could have money in the bank and just keep that money in the bank to use for, you know, while the dollar isn't crashed, you can be investing it in businesses or, or whatever you need to. But if you ever did need to, you could put it towards that mortgage and it would be a hedge against inflation. What I mean is that the bank says, you owe us, let's say $100,000 to pay off the rest of this mortgage. Well, they didn't say, uh, they didn't stipulate how much the dollar is worth at that given time. They just want $100,000 bills. That's what it's gonna take for them to give you the deed to the house. And it doesn't matter if the, the, the dollar completely tanks and I can't take those $100,000 bills to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread. It doesn't matter. I can go to the bank and say, here's my $100,000, give me that deed. And let's say, you know, the world is now, uh, the, the new currency is new world order bucks or whatever. So I have, I can, I can pay off the, the, the home loan for a hundred thousand regular dollars. And if I wanted to, I could refinance that and say, because the house has intrinsic value, right? So it's worth whatever the new currency is. It has its, its house worth of money in new world order bucks or whatever. So I could refinance it or get like a, some kind of uh, uh, equity loan or something like that. I'm sure it's not foolproof. I'm sure the banks would say something like, uh, we're no longer accepting payments of, of dollars, even though that's what the contract says. I mean, in theory, it's the perfect hedge against in inflation, even hyperinflation, but I'm sure there's some unknown thing I'm thinking of. In any case, in closing, I just wanted to talk about a lot of this thinking about uh, the, the, the world going downhill and, and money and all this stuff has really got me convicted a lot of uh, places in the Bible that say things like, uh, you know, you're, you're storing in your barns, you fool, don't you know this very night your soul will be required of you? And the idea about not serving uh, two masters, speaking of money and God, you're going to love the one and hate the other. And it just seems to be a kind of incompatible situation about worrying about your, your, your security and, and also worrying about uh, God. It seems that the Bible sort of describes it as a one or the other kind of situation. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there is uh, uh, arguments to be made, uh, biblical arguments to be made on either side. But I do, do know that it's basically true that thinking about this stuff is not as rewarding as you would think it would be. <laughs> um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you know, I could see how people during World War II or whatever were convincing themselves that it was worth it to be looking at, looking at the papers that day about what, who bombed where and when and, and what's the current situation with, uh, you know, the, the, the move of troops and stuff like that. And they could say, this is really important. I need to be on the ball with this. I need to know everything there is to know about it. When really, um, they didn't need to know that. What they needed to know is more about the Bible and to use that 
uh, that uh, in, in desire to have security and whatever and kind of shift all that towards God and the Bible and have him be your security, your strong tower and run to him and the righteous are safe and all that stuff. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that that's really the answer that I'm trying to, to look for in all this. Uh, and I'm trying to get away from my sort of fleshly desire to, to uh, think of think of ways to to stay up on all the information and to uh, to make sure I'm prepared and everything. I think there's a balance certainly, but I do think that uh, there's a trap there too, and that really the answer is the purity of of, of learning about the Bible and learning about how God is uh, the our provider in this situation and in all situations. So. So yeah, thanks to everybody that donated to the Pre-Wrath Film Project. I'm really excited about it. You'll hear more about that, I'm sure, very shortly. Um, and thanks to everybody for downloading this episode and for all your prayers and well wishes. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.